This is a Federal News Network podcast. President Biden's vaccine mandate for federal contractors has, much like it did for the federal workforce, raised more questions than answers. Federal contracting attorneys are being inundated with questions from clients about the scope of that mandate. The administration has answered some of those questions, but certainly not all of them. Federal News Network's Alazar Moga spoke with some of those attorneys about what they're hearing, and he joins us now. Hey, Alazar. Hey, Jared. So give us some, bring us up to speed on exactly the contours of this particular mandate, because there are some differences between the one that applies to the federal workforce and the one that applies to contractors, right? Right. Contractors got the word on the vaccine mandate at the same time the federal employees did um, with that September 9th executive order and then followed up with more guidance from the Safer Federal Workforce Task Force on the 24th of September that set that de- that December 8th deadline for contractors to be fully vaccinated. That is a tight tight timeline for them as it is still pretty broad in, in the implementation and enforcement. So they were kind of waiting around just to get more details and they're still kind of waiting around uh, the FAR Council, the Federal Acquisition Regulation Council, did put out their clause, their contract clause to kind of give some clarity. But because of that rush, rush tight deadline that the council was under, the rule kind of kind of just said go along with the with the task force's uh, guidance and didn't really clarify much for them. So the contractors still have a lot of the same questions, even if the FAR Council's rule did kind of take a step forward. But they're still asking a lot of a lot of questions. Yeah, and part of the reason for that time crunch is December 8th is the date to be fully vaccinated, which means you need to have had your last shot by what, around the Thanksgiving time frame, right? Yeah, that's right. And and uh, the mandate really applies to, with the ex- exemption of uh, product purchase contracts and those under the simplified acquisition threshold, it's pretty much all contractors are required to get vaccinated, even those that are working from home, which itself is kind of a adds a wrinkle to it, you know, because really, how do you guarantee, especially for the larger, larger contracts, uh, contractors that have a large workforce, really guaranteeing that you have everyone vaccinated, and having proof of that and enforcing it. It's really, really a tricky thing. And they're gonna, they're gonna definitely run into some problems and a lot to be seen right now. So obviously, there was not the extended sort of Q&A process uh, that, that goes into building a normal FAR Council rule here. So they, as you said, didn't answer many things that, that contractors posed or would have posed during that process. That said, what sorts of things are these attorneys that you spoke with hearing from contractors? What are they still scratching their heads about? Uh, one big one is kind of just, you know, the, how, are they going to lose their contract if one employee is not vaccinated? You know, it really is the government can kind of just call it a breach if there is someone who's not vaccinated. And it, really, there are some contractors who are still wondering if it does apply to everyone in their workforce, because it now goes beyond um, just the, the people, do, any federal uh, contracting facility, everyone there has to be vaccinated. So it, even the people that aren't even directly working on the contracts have to be vaccinated. So there's a lot of small parts that they're trying to see if they have to, to check a lot of boxes. And then if they don't check those boxes, you know, is it going to affect past performance rating? Are you going to lose if uh, the contract has like compliance requirements? Are they going to get paid less? Is the government going to actually ask for damages? There's just a lot of a lot of money questions that they're asking right now. And beyond that, they're going to have to worry about some of uh, the the legal parts of if they're employees that ask for an exemption. Uh, right now, the, exempt, the exemptions that employees can ask for are uh, medical exemptions or religious exemptions, which, you know, there, there still isn't really guidance on how the employee even would go about applying for that or proving that they're part of that exemption, which is going to lead also to more 
uh, legal challenges across the across the the spectrum. If if there, I mean, inevitably there will be some employees that go down that route. And there's also the challenge of states have their own regulations, and there might be some employees that feel like uh, maybe the more lax regulation where they are, uh, they would rather go by that, and then. If they have to start a litigation with the the contractor, then that's that's also going to just take up more time. So the, the the new FAR clause obviously was the big thing everyone was waiting for. It being the sort of implementing legal mechanism to make the the vaccine mandate real for contractors. What are people still kind of waiting around for in terms of implementation of this? What are the next steps here? Well, the FAR council kind of just uh, reiterated what this uh, the task force said. So I think what contractors are kind of waiting for are some answers of to their questions kind of about how agencies are going to enforce the mandate how are they going to really verify that contractors are complying with the mandate because it is really up to uh, the agencies that are controlling those contracts to make those assessments and then contractors are also wondering how much heavy lifting would they they will have to be doing especially if their employees challenging their mandate they have to make the decision themselves um, if that employee is in the right or the wrong. So they're, they're kind of just waiting to, to have some of their smaller questions answered. And I know GSA next week is, or I think the week after next, the 14th, is holding an industry engagement day to kind of answer some questions. They did allow industry to submit uh, their questions uh, as of now. And then they're kind of looking over, over it and they're going to kind of release some of their own uh, information. So I think it's just a lot of, a lot of uh, small questions that need to be answered, but everything is just too broad right now. So the, the contractors are kind of just in a waiting game. And also the the guidance can evolve as the pandemic involves. You know, we're not out of the weeds yet. So they're going to kind of just be on their toes for, for a little while. And Alzar, one thing we know about, you know, compliance burdens for uh, members of the government contracting industry is things can be really hard to implement even when there is an extended notice and comment process. In this case, there wasn't. So <laughs> what, are, what are you hearing from industry about how, how additionally difficult uh, this particular compliance burden is uh, because of that, that lack of two-way communication and the rushedness of it? I think the, the, the best comparison that I heard um, was from one of the contracting attorneys that I heard. He said... You know that we've kind of entered a new era of a of a more far-reaching, difficult to comply with contract obligation uh, uh, obligations, and he kind of likened it to the Chinese telecoms equipment ban. It was very fast, and you had so many so many moving parts that contractors had to check boxes for, and the government just kind of you know if if you didn't check all the boxes, we're not going to do business with you. So it's getting really really complicated for contractors, and this one especially is happening as the pandemic is still happening. All right, Federal News Network's Alazar Mogus, thanks very much. Thanks, Jared. And you can find more information about the federal vaccine mandate, both for federal employees and for contractors, at federalnewsnetwork.com. Still ahead on Federal News Network, the FDIC turns to college students for a new perspective on some of its trickiest research questions. That's next on The Federal Drive with Tom Temin on Federal News Network. I'm Jared Serbu, filling in for Tom. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, 
where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain 
of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers as others call them every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship, step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.